there's a 10,000 fold difference in levels of fish between a sardine and a swordfish. Your body thinks it's a good thing, it takes it up for growth, it takes a long time to turn over all of those proteins into new ones and release all of that mercury. Fasting and detoxing is the way I've seen the toxic load go down the fastest. You gotta get the system all tuned for that. We need to have some feeling of safety that we're not, you know, have to be on it all the time. The diet that doesn't screw you up is the diet you should be on when you detox. Welcome to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, where we meet the world's top experts to explore the secrets of health, mindset, longevity, and so much more. Are you ready to take charge of your existence and biohack your life? This show is for you. Please keep in mind, we're not dispensing medical advice and are not responsible for any outcomes you may experience from implementing the tactics lying herein. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome back to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Today's episode is with Dr. Christopher Shade, who is a go-to expert on things like heavy metal toxicity, specifically mercury, as well as detox methods, and also liposomal delivery of supplements. We started talking before the call and realized there were so many topics we would love to talk about beyond just mercury. I was like, oh man, I could talk to this guy for like ever. So he's already booked for a part two. I mean, it probably won't be until... February or March or so, but know that it is coming. I know we get very technical and very specific, especially the, f- the first part of this episode, but I really, really encourage you to listen to the whole thing. We, we get into so many deep topics beyond just mercury. This is one of the episodes that you might find yourself re-listening to because there's just so much in it, so much to unpack. I probably will be re-listening to it a lot. One thing it really made me realize is that we think things are so simple in a way like, oh, you're, you're toxic with heavy metals or, oh, you have candida or, oh, you have this one thing when there's, it's so intense what's going on in the body, just as far as the mechanisms of everything and the processes for why it's happening. And for example, what we talk about, one of the reasons that people so easily become toxic in mercury, even in things like fish, which a lot of us eat fish and don't even realize that mercury could potentially be as much of a problem as it could be. But it's because that mercury and fish, our body actually thinks that it's a helpful protein. And so the body is like, give it to me. And so we easily absorb it. And as the founder of Quicksilver Scientific, Dr. Shade has developed an array of fascinating, scientific, in-depth, amazing products, oftentimes which use something we discussed briefly, which is liposomal delivery, which depending on the specific supplement makes it very absorbable and bioavailable and actually usable by the body. So he has so many things. We talk about a lot of them in the show. If you'd like to try any of the products, you can use the link in the show notes and you will get 10% off your order. So that's awesome. You can also just go to melanieavalon.com slash quicksilver, and that will also direct you to that site with the 10%. Talking to him, I just wanted to try all the things. It was crazy. And if you do try some of them, let me know what you think. I would love to hear your thoughts. The show notes for today's episode will be at melanieavalon.com slash heavy metal detox. I am a Himalaya partnered show. And if you follow the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast in the Himalaya app, you will get early access 24 hours in advance. So definitely check that out. You can also join my exclusive Himalaya plus community there. You can discuss episodes, make guest requests, and you'll also get exclusive content from me each month. Speaking of communities, 
please, please join me in my Facebook group. That is Paleo OMAD Biohackers, Intermittent Fasting Plus Real Foods Plus Life. It's an awesome place to be, guys. I love it. We discuss all things biohacking, including detox, heavy metals, what foods to eat, what foods not to eat, how to rock your life. It's just a really wonderful place, and I hope to see you there. All right, now enjoy the show. Hi, friends. So I am so excited and thrilled to be here today with Dr. Christopher Shade, who I have been dying to get on since I personally, no pun intended, was likely sort of dying myself from something known as mercury toxicity. As listeners know, I'm all about identifying toxins in the environment and how to properly support detoxification in the body. So we're super excited to dive deep in today into mercury toxicity and potentially a lot of tangential rabbit holes from there, having talked <laughs> having talked to Dr. Shay just a little bit before this call. We have a lot of things we could uh, potentially talk about. But before we jump in, I'll tell listeners a little bit about Dr. Shade. So Dr. Shade, he has a PhD. He is the founder and CEO of Quicksilver Scientific. And Dr. Shade, by the way, before I knew who you were as a person, I was definitely very familiar with your company. It was referred to me by a lot of holistic medical practitioners. So I know you're very well, well respected in that world, but Dr. Shade, he does focus on, he's a breath of knowledge, just honestly, on all things detox, on healing, on really the understanding of chemistry and biology in our bodies. And I think that's really reflected in his products, but one of his Fortes is specifically mercury toxicity, as well as something we will discuss in this episode, which is the importance of liposomal delivery systems. So that's a lot of words right now, but we're gonna we're gonna dive in deep. But um, Dr. Shay, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much, Melanie. Uh, this will be a pleasure. We'll have the five rabbit hole interview. Incidentally, when I was developing out our website, and we haven't gotten to this point yet. We wanted some simple education, and then on each page with the simple education was going to be a down the rabbit hole button where you'd go and we delve deep into the hardcore stuff. And so we'll do that tonight. Oh, I love it. When I just had the intermittent fasting podcast and not this podcast, I felt like I was always apologizing because I'd be like, sorry, guys, this is a tangent and a rabbit hole, but I just <laughs> just love exploring the science of all these things. And now with this podcast, it's wonderful because it's the platform where... We can finally do that. Learn, learn, explore. There's just so much out there. Yeah, yeah. And, and you need those where you're not over simplifying everything. You're, you're just going in. And people always say, well, there's a lot to unpack in that. And so in the interviews I do and the podcasts and the webinars and stuff, people will watch them or listen to them several times because there's just there's a lot in there. And I think this is a biohacking thing. We should pack it. Exactly. So I thought to start things off, would you like to tell listeners just a little bit about your personal health history? What brought you to where you are today? Yeah, well, uh, you know, it's a long and circuitous route, but it take me back to the steel town of Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, where I was born. This There was blast furnaces, you know, about a mile and a half away from me. And so I grew up with this sort of mist of metals and metal dust that was falling down around me all the time. And then I had a, a dentist who, every time there was a crack in my enamel, he'd drill it out and stick a mercury amalgam in there. And so I had 17 amalgams by the time he was done with his handiwork there. When they took them out, the dentist, my friend Stephen Coral said, you're not going to like this. You only have one real cavity. 
<laughs> so I had this massive metal burden from growing up in this town and then having a mouthful of metal. And then I went to school as a scientist, undergrad. One of the things that was happening to me from all that metal is I was losing some of my cognitive focus. I was super smart, young. And then as I got into later high school and then into college, I just wasn't performing the way I had when I was younger. And I wasn't up in the same percentiles of the population as I used to be. And uh, I also noticed I had this hair, hair trigger temper and I was tired a lot. So I had all these sort of gnawing problems from it. And then I went through kind of a circuitous thing where I, you know, I sort of lost faith in science. I left, I became an organic farmer. So I was a biodynamic organic farmer up in the Northeast years and years and years ago. I joked that I went out of business as an organic farmer the year Whole Foods came around. There just was no high-end place to sell the stuff then. But that gave me this focus on holistic wellness. And when you're into organic farming, the whole idea there is building a soil ecosystem. And so it's all this interconnection between the microbes, the organic matter, and and the mineral matter. And you're trying to grow this into this very healthy organism of a farm. So I got out of the farming side, and I went into the academic side around farming, and I was working at Rodell Institute, uh, which is uh, organic farming research. And then I went back to school looking at pollution from farming, and then landed in my PhD, was going to do more work around agriculture and pollution, but I found what they were doing really boring. And I found this guy who was doing mercury research really fascinating. And he was modeling global cycles of mercury going into the air, coming down in the ecosystems, building up through the biosphere and bioaccumulating. So I went to work with him and I did my PhD with him and I developed for him and patented while at the University of Illinois a system for separating different forms of mercury during the analysis. And so the relevance to people is you have one form of mercury from your dental fillings called inorganic mercury. It's, a, it's actually present as a mercury metal in your filling and evaporates off as a vapor, which you inhale and you absorb it through the inhalation. And then that breaks down to the ionic form in your body called inorganic mercury. So you got the inorganic mercury mostly from dental amalgam. And then you got the fish-based form called methylmercury. And that you're absorbing at a 95% uptake because your body thinks it's an amino acid, actually. And so you have those two different forms, but they, they move around your body very differently. They affect you differently. And so that mercury speciation enabled us to look at where the mercury is coming from and, and how it's distributing in the body. And so I started my company, Quicksilver Scientific, around that testing. And then I developed out the supplements to get rid of the metals, uh, upregulate the glutathione system, get the metals out. And that led me to doing these high bioavailability formats called liposomes and nanoemulsions. And then we grew out our whole supplement line around these high bioavailability formats, expanded the whole detox line, went into a metabolic line. We've got an immune line. And so it became much broader than just metals and detox. So that's where I came from. Okay. Wow. You, you touched on so many things. I already have like 5 million follow-up questions just from that one thing. Okay. So, I mean, I'm similar to you in that I started experiencing issues, neurological, a lot were a lot of them from mercury toxicity. Mine actually, I never had fillings, mercury fillings. So mine was completely from fish, which was really actually shocking to me. And I remember when I first got my 
blood tested and we can talk about, you know, testing methods in a bit, but my blood mercury was actually insanely high. And my practitioner was like, your blood mercury should never be, you know, that high because that would indicate, you know, a very intense burden. Yeah. And we'll pick that apart and get a little bit more clarity on it. But the fish form of mercury does show in the blood pretty well. And that's why you were so high. But yeah, I mean, back 20, 30 years ago, the focus was all on amalgams as the main toxicity driver. But fish, you know, there's a 10,000 fold difference in levels of fish between a sardine and a swordfish. And so there's plenty of room to really, really get toxic. In fact, the, you know, the sort of most famous case recently was uh, Tony Robbins. And he got uh, pretty extreme mercury toxicity from eating just tons and tons of tuna and swordfish. And we tested him and did his detox. And now he speaks about that all the time when he's doing his events. No, yeah, to that point, exactly. I didn't realize, and I don't think a lot of people realize what you just said, the difference, like regarding like PPM, which is how they measure mercury and fish, the difference. So for example, I was doing some research and now I know that like a piece of tilapia, and I also know that the ranges are like all over the place. So it's hard to even go by averages, but for example, like a piece of tilapia by the most recent data I could find averaged 0.013 PPM mercury compared to the average for a piece of swordfish was 0.995, which I would actually want to ask you. So does that insinuate if those measurements were correct, that eating a single piece of swordfish, for example, would be like eating... It's like 100 tilapia. Yep, that's exactly what that means. Okay, because <laughs> so, basically I was only eating low mercury fish, so tilapia, shellfish, things like that, and then I discovered swordfish. <laughs> I only... And I was like, I know this is high mercury. This was before I'd done a lot of research. I was like, I know it's high mercury, but one piece can't be that bad, right? But now looking back, I had it probably like, you know, three times in a month, knowing I was probably already not so suited to mercury detox. Yeah. I mean, so eating, eating you know, even three pieces of swordfish was potentially the equivalent of my whole year's worth of fish. Yeah, that's 300 tilapia you know, or 3,000 sardines, you know, yeah, and not even sardines, you know, the 3,000 equal weight equivalents of sardines. And so it's, you really have to make those decisions carefully. And uh, the first famous guy who fell prey to that was the CEO of IMAX Films. And he got his blood levels up between 75 and 100. And he has permanent neurological damage from that. He walks with a cane. He used to be super active. And he noticed like, he was a tennis nut. And all of a sudden, he was like missing the ball. And he couldn't do the overhand serve. And then soon he was all the stuff set in. He was like a, a paleo swordfish guy. You know, he just ate tons of swordfish all the time. And that's what happened. That's insane. It's called Mad Hatter's disease for a reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the fish form is very neurological. So once you get up to high enough levels, it's all right in there in the brain. And that is the Mad Hatter thing. So that's fascinating. You said that the form of mercury in fish, the, so the body perceives it as an amino acid. So it thinks it's, quote, like a good thing. And that's why it absorbs it. Is that correct? Yeah, 100%. So first, here, we're, we're going to give you a little quiz here. Is Oh, man. Is... The mercury in the fish, where is it in the fish? Is it in the fat or in the muscle? So I thought when I first started it was in the fat, but then it looked like it was in the protein. 
It is. Yep. And so usually I, uh, I'll, I'll bait. Yeah. My heart was beating. I was like, Oh no, a quiz. Like, oh, no, oh no, I better be right. So I'll bait a whole room of people and a whole bunch of people say fat. And I'll say no. And because the fat soluble toxins are in the fat, oh, go figure. And mercury instead is sticking on to sulfhydro groups from the amino acid cysteine in the proteins. In fact, there's almost none in the fats. And so it's stuck to cysteine in the protein strands. There's a sulfur group on the cysteine that it bonds to. Then when your body hydrolyzes the protein down to amino acids, the methylmercury still sticks to the cysteine. So you have what's called a complex of methylmercury cysteine. And methylmercury cysteine is a molecular mimic, meaning it's same size, shape, charge structure as methionine. And so you absorb it through your, they're called L-neutral amino acid transporters in the GI tract, at the blood-brain barrier, at the placental barrier. And so, yeah, your body thinks it's a good thing. It takes it up for growth. It sticks it in preferentially into the placenta. The growing child in the mother's belly is 30% higher blood mercury level than, than the mother because you're sticking all those amino acids into the placenta to grow. So that's how it gets in. Eventually, the body kind of recognizes it and sticks glutathione onto it, and then it starts traveling through transporters that move it out. Wow. Okay. And so really random question. Would the typical amino acid profile that somebody is consuming, so like a higher methionine diet or a lower protein, higher protein diet, would that at all influence the initial rate of their absorption of mercury based on like the amino acids they already have present, or is that not even a factor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, there could be a competitive inhibition. You can inhibit the uptake by saturating yourself in methionine. That's how they figured out they were, it was methionine transport. So it, it's just going to diminish how much gets in because they're all fighting for their, their place at the transporter. Another super random question. So I was doing a lot of research on cooking methods of fish and how it affected yeah. mercury. Because after that happened to me, it I doesn't. was like, I need to, oh, you, oh, yeah, the, the studies were all over the place. Like some were saying that cooking increased, some were saying that it had no effect, some were saying that it decreased. I was like, I have no idea. And yeah, all the ones that I looked at, they just, they were kind of amateurs. Uh, mercury, like it, there's a saying in science, like it, in, in analysis, you're either a mercury analyst or you don't touch it. You only give it to people who only do mercury work because doing science around mercury is incredibly tricky. It sticks to everything. It does all the things you're not expecting it to do. You got to be pretty sophisticated to do mercury science work. And a lot of people get those wrong, but Nothing happens when you cook. I mean, if you just like totally torched it, you'd break some of the mercury carbon bonds and some of the methylmercury would become something else. But you're not going to, that's not how you eat fish. You eat fish barely cooked. You know, it's kind of like medium rare and it's not doing anything to it. There's some work on whether to leave skins on or off or take the fat on or off when you're cooking fish because the PCBs are in the fat and they're synergistically toxic with the mercury. So that was in areas where they're, they're living off fish that they eat and that's pretty much all they eat. There was some recommend in areas where there was decent PCB le- levels, there was recommendations to fillet the fish and defat the fish before you cook it to eliminate the exposure to the PCBs in the fat. Okay. Gotcha. That makes sense. And then, yeah, I guess continuing on this tangent rabbit hole, 
when this happened to me, I just started doing all the research on fish. And I did see that it seemed in general that actually farmed fish, at least ones that were raised sustainably, might have less mercury content than wild fish because of the amount of mercury that ends up in the fish is primarily from their diet. Yeah, it's because the fish... The mercury that's building up in the fish is from them eating other fish. So the bigger the fish, the more aggressive it is, the higher up the food chain it eats, the more mercury it'll have in it. And farmed fish, they're usually feeding it, you know, soybeans and shit. And so they're not getting that bioaccumulation. They have other problems. You know, they're using all these pesticides and herbicides to keep them from getting sick. They've got lower levels of different, you know, essential amino acids. So you just have to make decisions around this. But, you know, fish farming is a good thing for our future and the future of our food supply. So it's something that we should work on developing out and making good and being sustainable. But yeah, to answer the question directly, it's almost always has lower mercury than wild. Okay. Yeah. Because I think just my personal health history and I was always like, you know, wild caught is the way to go for health and everything. But now I realize as with everything, things are so complicated. And so now it seems like with fish, my takeaway when I I recently released this really long blog post that was pages and pages long with all of my findings about mercury, what I was thinking was it seemed best to eat like wild caught really low on the low on the chain. So like the shellfish, you know, shrimp, scallops, things like that. And then sustainably raise like where you know the practices, you know what's going into it, companies for for specific... Yeah. Yeah. So doing your Though, research. Just seems to to <laughs> throw one damper on there. Oh, please do. Please uh, do. Shell- please so do. Throw the, it off. The, the shellfish are really low in mercury, but they're higher in arsenic cadmium? and cadmium. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, shrimp have that. So you, I know. You gotta you gotta spread it out on be an omnivore, eat a lot of different things, not too much of any one thing. But, you know, things like anchovies and sardines and kippers, those are real low mercury and pretty much low in everything. And they, But they have a lot of great oils. They're wild and a lot of good nucleic acids and phosphorus contents. And so those seem to be the safest bet. But, you know, I just spread it around. Okay, awesome. And then since you did talk about at the beginning the amalgam picture, because I do know a lot of people do have mercury exposure from that. So does that have the same problem? I'm guessing not having the same problem of the body thinking it's an amino acid because you said it becomes a vapor or so. How does that? Right, right. No, no, you're you're getting that right. It's a totally different absorption situation, but it's not a good one. So the vapor that's coming off of the amalgam has, you have an 80% uptake of that through the lungs. And it as a source is actually a little worse than the methylmercury. So First, let's just say, all right, just picture dental amalgams, the silver fillings. There's two things happening. There's mercury evaporating off of the surface and you're inhaling it. And then there's mercury corroding off of the surface and you're swallowing it. And that's going through the GI. We'll talk about that first. The stuff that goes through the GI, you don't really absorb much of. So you're not getting a lot in your blood from that, but it's poisoning to your detox system. It shifts your flora 
in your microbiome and shifts you towards more mer- mercury resistance to, for the bacteria to live in it. But some of those organisms aren't great. And the genes for mercury resistance also bring antibiotic resistance. So, and it's creating all this localized micro inflammation sites, which are blocking detoxification. So you're swallowing one form that's poisoning your GI and the other form you're inhaling and you have 80% uptake across the lung and it goes in as this mercury vapor. It's actually a metallic vapor. So mercury is the only metal that's liquid at room temperature and pressure. And then, you know, once it's a little warm, it's evaporating. You've got these small monatoms. It's a single atom gas molecule of mercury that diffuses across the membranes of your lung into the blood lipids. And then it can diffuse across the blood brain barrier too. So it gets into the brain too, not through an active transport, but through a diffusive mechanism. And it can get anywhere in your body through this diffusive mechanism. And then after it takes a couple passes through the system and it runs into a reaction eventually with the enzyme catalase, which is an antioxidant enzyme for dealing with hydrogen peroxide. And when it does that, it slips in there. This is another molecular mimicry. It slips into a site that it's not supposed to slip into and that oxidizes it to the salt form called inorganic mercury. And that's when it starts sticking to everything. So instead of being actively absorbed through the GI, it's passively absorbed through the lungs, and then it distributes and ends up in this ultimate form, inorganic mercury, which is actually more toxic atom per atom than methylmercury. Hi, friends. Do you want to come hang out with me and Dave Asprey and so many other guests I've had on the show? You simply must come to the 10th Annual Biohacking Conference. May 30th through June 1st in Dallas, Texas. And of course, I have a massive discount code for you guys. I went last year to the one in Orlando, and it was one of the most fun times of my entire life. I met and got to hang out with so many guests that I've had on the show. I met so many of you guys. And of course, there's lots of Danger Coffee and Dave Asprey approved meals and Dry Farm Wines. And that's just the social aspect. The conference itself is mind-blowing. They have this incredible expo where they have all the biohacking supplements, all the biohacking things. You can learn about them, try samples, meet the creators and founders. If you haven't tried a lot of biohacking things, it's a great chance to actually try them out in person. Things like brain tap, infrared sauna, hyperbaric oxygen chambers, and so much more. There are so many incredible speakers as well. You can hear talks from people I've had on the show like Paul Saladino, Dr. Daniel Amen, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Mercola, Dr. Annika Becca, and that is just a few of them. I seriously had the time of my life last year, and I would love to hang out with you guys. And you can get 35% off tickets. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference and use the coupon code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. That's melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference with the code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. This code can be used for general admission or for VIP access. Seating is limited. They do sell out. They sold out last year. So get your ticket now. And if you come, definitely let me know because I want to meet you. So hopefully see you guys in Dallas. MelanieAvalon.com slash biohacking conference with coupon code BCMelanie. Get your tickets now. I'll see you guys there. 
Hi friends, I am so excited to tell you about something that I am obsessed with that can revolutionize your health, help with stress levels, support longevity, and really help you when you go out and are having a bit of wine or drinks or all the things. And I'm going to tell you how to get $100 off. So I've been talking about the role of NAD in our health for so long. NAD stands for nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. It is a coenzyme that is is involved in so many processes in our body, including energy production and DNA repair. And it is depleted by things like stress, aging, lack of sleep, alcohol, and of course, too much partying. In fact, a lot of researchers believe that declining NAD levels is one of the key factors in aging. That's why I have been really interested in boosting and supporting NAD levels. And I have tried all the things. You can take precursors to NAD called NR and NMN. I still take NMN. However, I am much more alert by directly giving your body NAD. And historically, the most common way to do that that is accessible to people was through NAD IVs and NAD shots. I actually never did an NAD IV for a few reasons. One, they are extraordinarily expensive. Two, I've been doing the shots, which I liked because they were easy to do. That said, they always made me feel a little bit unwell right afterwards. And I've heard that the IV makes a lot of people feel unwell. So if the shots were making me feel unwell and that was going into the muscle first as like a barrier, I can't even imagine what putting it straight into my bloodstream would have done. Plus with the IVs, you have to sit there for potentially hours. So basically IVs were a no-go for me. So like I said, I was doing the shots, but I was like, I wish there was an easier way to do this. Then a company called Ion Layer reached out to me. Oh my goodness, friends. I am so obsessed. So they make transdermal NAD patches and they have studies showing that these patches actually boost your NAD levels. And what's so amazing is you put on a patch. It's super easy to put on. I have a video on my Instagram about how you do it. You basically get this patch thing with like a negative side and a positive side. You put saline on one side, you mix up the NAD with some sterile water and the NAD that they give you on the other side. Then you stick it to your arm or wherever you want to put it. You put a super cool black patch over it, kind of like how you put the patches over CGMs. And then what's amazing is there are no side effects. You don't feel unwell from it and it lasts for 14 hours and it's so easy. You can do it at home and then you can really decide when you want to do it. So with the shots, I was doing them once a week and I was trying to do them before going out with this patch. Now I put on the patch before going out and it makes me feel so good. It really helps the next day from any alcohol recovery that you may need. And they look pretty awesome with my outfits. Not going to lie. I am obsessed with these patches. I just want everybody to know about them and they are so much more affordable than the shots or the IVs. If you want to boost your NAD levels, support anti-aging, help with your stress, help with lack of sleep, and or optimize your partying. You need these patches, friends. And I'm so excited because working with the company has been amazing and they are giving you guys $100 off, which is incredible. So to get that discount, just go to melanieavalon.com slash ion layer. That's I-O-N-L-A-Y-E-R and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get $100 off your first order. I cannot recommend these enough. I'm going to use them for the unforeseeable future, probably for the rest of my life. It's literally just become part of my arsenal now. Like when I'm getting ready to go out, usually once a week, put on my NAD patch. And even if I don't go out that week, I still like to do one once weekly. 
Oh, P.S. They're also amazing for traveling. You guys know I'm not a big traveler. I've been doing more traveling recently and I wear these on the plane there and back. Game changer. Although it's really fun at TSA, especially because I already opt out and don't go through the scanner thing. So they already are suspicious. And then they're like, what's that on your arm? And I'm like, it's NAD. And then they're like, what's that? And then I'm like, it's a coenzyme in your body that's involved in a lot of metabolic processes and energy production and DNA repair. And then they just look at me really weird, but it's fine. It's totally fine. So again, that's melanieavalon.com slash ion layer to get $100 off your ion layer kit. It comes with six patches, totally the way to go for boosting NAD levels. And I cannot recommend it enough. melanieavalon.com slash ion layer with the coupon code melanieavalon for $100 off. And something I've always wondered, so I know people are becoming more and more aware of, you know, the detrimental effects of these mercury amalgams. So they'll want to get them removed. And then there's the whole concept that removing them might be, you know, do a ton of damage because taking them out would create, I'm guessing, release a lot of mercury when they're getting them taken out. Yeah, but that's, you know, it's kind of like a a bullshit excuse because that's only if you remove them wrong and you have no protections in place. And so there's a lot of groups that have developed out methods for removing your mercury amalgams where you get no exposure to the mercury or like inconsequential exposure. The one group that really spearheads at the most is called the IAOMT. And you can find them at IAOMT.org or I think there's a .com site. And they have something called the smart mercury removal protocol. And it's just using latex dental dams and suction and a certain way that they cut them out so that they don't vaporize them so much. And in practice, looking at people's blood when they get the mercury removed, I once saw a woman work for me, run out and get all her mercury amalgams taken out because their dental insurance was running out. She didn't ask me about it. There was no protection in place at all. She already had a really high blood inorganic mercury level. And by the time she told me what had happened and I measured her blood, she was, it was a five-fold increase in her blood level. It was like huge, huge amount of mercury in her blood from that removal. Now, contrast that my wife got hers out by the same guy who took mine out and he was using these protocols. She already had a pretty low level and I could barely even measure a bump in her blood from the removal. Like it was, you know, tiny, tiny, tiny little exposure versus this vast exposure. So now, you know, the conventional dentists, they'll speak out of both sides of their mouth. On one side, they'll say mercury is not dangerous. And then on the other side, they'll say, well, the only danger is taking it out. It's like, oh, well, come on. So you just need a holistic dentist who uses these protocols and then you can get it out safely. Yeah. So for listeners, the show notes for today's episode, they will be at melanieavalon.com slash heavy metal detox. So I'll put a link there to that resource that you provided, Dr. Shade, and anything else that we discuss in this episode. So when we do get mercury in our body, what is the typical half-life of mercury in the body if we're not you know, doing any method to pull it out ourselves? Like, or does it vary by individual? Do genetics play a part in that? What does that look like? Yeah, there's a lot of variation. So half-life in the body runs, you know, the estimates run between 40 and 70 days. And it's 
a little bit longer for methylmercury than inorganic mercury. Inorganic mercury tends, those estimates tend to run 35 to 50 days, and the methylmercury ones run in the 45 to 60 day window generally. Now, that's just the average. Now, that is going to vary all over the place according to one, your genetics, your SNPs, and more importantly, probably your epigenetics. That's how you, much you're upregulating or downregulating all of this chemoprotective chemistry. And for mercury, that's mostly centered around the glutathione system and then peripherally to activities of the transport systems that move bile and transport systems in the kidneys. So if you're under a lot of inflammatory stress, you're going to turn down all those detox mechanisms pretty heavily, and they're going to work at a fraction of their normal rate. Certain other comorbid exposures, like if you're exposed to mold and mercury at the same time, mold tends to turn down the functioning of your detox system, and then it's going to take you longer to get this stuff out. Okay, you touched on so many topics I want to dive deep into. <laughs> so, so it's interesting. So when I first got the diagnosis with the mercury issues, which my my blood levels were around 40, which I think is... Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's juicy. Congratulations. Thank you. I know. You'd be, you'd be up on my Hall of Fame. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So I wasn't going... I mean, I was going crazy, but... um. Yeah, and for a good reason. Okay. Yeah. I feel validated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, real overachievers like Tony Robbins can hit 120, but, you know, you still for... You know, for not being Tony Robbins, you did pretty damn good. That is a hell of an achievement. Yeah, there's literally like a month of my life that I feel like I lost my memory during that time. Like I don't, it's like foggy to me almost. And it's when I was definitely really, really in that that toxic range. Yeah, I'm sure. And that's what was happening to Tony. I mean, it was like he was exhausted and couldn't remember anything. And he was, he was all fogged out. I mean, can you imagine Tony Robbins like that? And so this was like a huge deal. He's like, oh my God, what? I can't even you know, do what I do anymore. And so, yeah, so it's listeners, it's a real thing. It is for real. And so you mentioned glutathione. So when I first got, I mean, I figured out that that the mercury was a problem. I stopped eating the fish. I actually did start doing pharmaceutical chelation. So I'd love to, we can tackle testing methods, chelation, everything like that. We can go into that, but Interestingly, I would feel really, really good while doing pharmaceutical chelation, but at the same time, looking back, I was also doing it with IV glutathione. So uh, looking back, I'm like, I mean, yes, I'm sure the the chelation made a massive difference, but I bet I was benefiting a lot from that glutathione as well. So testing methods. So like I said, I had high blood testing. What are your thoughts on the various testing methods? So there are, there's, you know, blood testing, hair testing, urine challenge tests, which if you can imagine what mine looked like, especially, especially since a lot of those are the challenge tests are, are comparing them to reference ranges and that are unchallenged. I mean, that's the whole failure around the challenge test, but once you know how to, you know, read them, yours is probably up around a hundred or, or above. It was 200. 200. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. Actually, Dr. Shade, it was, it was the first time I realized what quote off the charts meant because it went past the charts. Well, nine gets you off the chart. Nine doesn't really mean dick. But you're up. Mark Hyman, his his first challenge test was like uh, 250 or 280 or something. Oh, man. Yeah. For me, that was with DMPS. 
DMPS, yeah, it's a strong, strong chelator. Yeah, and I would love to get your thoughts on DMPS and the different chelators because the cost benefits of those, especially with you know pulling out other other nutrients in the body. But just clarifying for listeners, so when you're testing for mercury, the blood tests, the urine tests, and then the hair tests. What are your thoughts, Dr. Shade, on what those can show for the individual and how they should be interpreted? Yeah, so they're all slightly different. <laughs> and that's why <laughs> we, we do what we call the mercury tri-test. We do all three of them. And then we the real key is to have the mercury speciation where you're separating the different forms. So what is in each of these tests? So urine is only inorganic mercury. That's the form that you're getting from the dental amalgams. However, the methylmercury will, in the body, is slowly breaking down into inorganic mercury, and that'll show through the urine. But inorganic is the only form that comes through the urine. The hair, on the other hand, the only form that comes through the hair is methylmercury. And so they're reading two totally different forms of mercury, and that's why they don't <laughs> align themselves. And then the blood has both, but the blood is dominated by the methylmercury signal in it. So if I were to take you and say you had no mercury in you and inject both forms into you in equal amounts and give it, say, five days to equilibrate in the body, and then I measured your blood, your blood would be 10, 15 times higher in methylmercury than inorganic mercury. Doesn't mean that your body's 10, 15 times higher in methylmercury. It's just that's the distribution. There's a a distribution between what's in the solid tissues and what's moving in the blood. And that distribution is shifted more to the tissues for inorganic mercury than it is for methylmercury. So if your exposure is just seafood and it's really high exposure, you will see high levels in the blood. Now you can have high exposure to inorganic mercury and your total mercury in the blood will not be high. You can have a mouthful of amalgams, eat no fish. Your total mercury in the blood will look low, but your urine will look high. Now, once you separate the different forms in the blood and you're looking at methyl and inorganic mercury alone, they're on their own reference ranges, and then you know what to look for. So if you had a mouthful of amalgams and I took your blood, I separated the forms, I'd see a large amount of inorganic mercury and a low amount of methylmercury because this you know mythical person here doesn't eat any fish. But because we have that technology, then we can do that. And then once we've separated the methyl and the inorganic mercury, then you can compare them to blood and urine. So if I have the inorganic mercury number in the blood, I can compare it to the urinary inorganic mercury, and they should be in a fixed ratio if your kidneys are working right. If they're not, your urine levels are going to go down because your kidneys aren't filtering it right, and your blood levels will go up. And the ratio between the two, which is what we measure with the mercury tri-test, will be off. And it'll be in this the red zone where we say that you've got kidney dysfunction and you've got retention toxicity. You're retaining that form of mercury. For methylmercury, it's a hair-to-blood ratio looking at methylmercury. And that's more indirect and it's more about how you mobilize methylmercury. But it's still showing you deficits in your detoxification system. So we do the blood the hair and the urine all together with this speciation technology, and we're able to get all of the numbers that we need to get, and you don't need to use any chelator. So you then with the chelators, the challenge test, they all that all came about 
you know, 20, 30 years ago when our analytical testing wasn't very good. And if you just measure somebody's urine, usually you can't measure any metals in it. And it's just called below your detection limit, but we couldn't read very low. And so if I gave you a chelator, then your level would jump up 10, 20, 30 fold. And then, oh, okay, there's the mercury. Now I can read the mercury. And so that was the advent of the mercury challenge test. But with that, as that simple tool to get the mercury levels up to where we can read them, came this kind of mythology that the challenge test was showing you the body burden of mercury, that it was going into every one of the cells and taking this representative amount of mercury out of the cells and putting it out in the urine. And so it grew up that that was what it was doing and that there's normally no mercury in the urine. Well, that wasn't true. Now we can measure what's in there on a day-to-day basis, and we don't need this amplifier called the chelator. Wow, that explains so much for all the, you know, seeing so many different findings or people saying that one method is better or one. And then people people will say with like hair analysis, for example, that if it's high, if your hair is high, you have a high burden. But then people say, no, if it's high, it's because you're, you're actually excreting it. Like people will say if it's low. It's low, it's because you're retaining it, you know. And then people will say, well, the mercury in the hair is representative of the mercury in the brain. It's coming out of the brain as if the hair follicle was inside the brain and there wasn't a thing called the freaking skull there. And so the mythology around hair testing is because naturopaths weren't allowed to write scripts for urine or blood testing. So they did all hair testing. So they had to write the story of everybody's mercury toxicity into the hair tests. And yet then this person comes to you and they have a mouthful of amalgams. They eat zero fish. You measure their hair. There's not going to be any mercury in their hair. And then you make up a story as to why that is. Oh, it's because you're not excreting it. Then the next person comes, Melanie comes, and her hair is, your hair must have been just so freaking high. And, you know, you could see somebody say, oh, good, then you're getting it out. None of that makes any sense until you have it in the context of what the blood level is. And then you can say it's high or low, you know, relative to what it should be for what the blood levels are. Okay. And then one more question about the blood levels. So, for example, now, (laughs) I always feel like I still have lots of mercury in me. I think just, I just like want it all out and it was just so traumatic. You had so much. It's going to take a while to turn that all over, but we can test you. I'll send you a test kit. Oh, that'd be amazing. Oh, that'd be amazing. The most recent time I got my blood tested though, the blood was a normal range. It was like three, I think. Yeah. So can a person have a normal blood level range and still be saturated in mercury? Uh, not saturated. Now we'd have to see what the inorganic mercury was like. So your inorganic mercury load is not from your mercury amalgams, which you never had. It's from the breakdown of the fish-based mercury. And you had so damn much that you still may have a lot of inorganic mercury in there. Methyl mercury is going out almost exclusively through bile transport. And so I've seen people get their methyl mercury all the way down, yet they've got problems in their kidneys and their inorganic mercury sticks around. So that is one possibility. But then there's, when you're saturated that much with mercury, some of it is built deep into a lot of the protein structures and 
takes a long time to turn over all of those proteins into new ones and release all of that mercury. And so there's this initial detox where you move most of the burden out, but there's a lot of sort of buried down in there metal that takes another couple of years to come to the surface and get out of there. Then there's individual organs, if they've gone into some sort of inflammatory dysfunction, let's just pick on uh, Hashimoto's thyroiditis. So that's inflammation, autoimmune inflammation in the thyroid. Inflammation is antithetical to detoxification. Inflammation blocks detoxification. So if you have one organ that is inflamed more than the rest, it will hold more mercury in it. And so the burden of that organ is going to take much longer to shake out. Then there's the brain, and that's the slowest of them all to come down. Then methylmercury from the brain comes out pretty quick, but the inorganic mercury is very slow to come out. And so the inorganic, when your brain was full of methylmercury, some of it was breaking down into inorganic mercury, and that's very slow to come out. And that will be deeply symptomatic. You know, brain mercury is more simple, symptomatic than uh, the rest of, than most of the rest of the body. Okay. You mentioned a lot more keywords that I want to tackle. Um, but before that, I have one lingering question that is actually not even related to mercury specifically, but you were talking about the kidneys. This is just something I've been wondering. So the kidneys and filtering things through the urine. So for example, people, some people like with asparagus will have like the urine smell from asparagus, for example, or I've noticed with different foods and different periods of my life, sorry, listeners, this is TMI, but sometimes my urine will take on distinctive smells, whereas other times it won't. Does that somehow indicate how effectively the kidneys are? Not, not really reliably. Some of those things like, you know, do you make asparagus pee or not, are more related to the enzymes that are breaking, breaking down the sulfur compounds in the asparagus. Do they turn it to this metabolite that smells like asparagus pee or that metabolite that doesn't? And so that's not as related to the kidney. Things like, you know, I drank coffee and my pee smelled like coffee. That's more in the glomerular filtration side, how open the glomerulus is and maybe sometimes over filtering. But mercury, so in the kidney, uh, the unit, the repeating units of the kidney are called nephrons. And they're composed of the glomerulus, which is this capillary, very leaky capillary structure that's leaking out basically its plasma into this capsule. And then it goes down through the next part of the nephron, which is called the proximal tubule. And in the proximal tubule, then there's all the active transport where you're harvesting back water electrolytes, amino acids, different small molecules you want to keep, and you're actively dumping in things like mercury conjugates and different toxins. And so that mercury detoxification is happening at the level of the proximal tubule. And even if you look at kidney function tests, there's glomerular filtration function tests, but there's not proximal tubule transport tests. So that Mercury tri-test, where we look at the urinary versus blood-bound inorganic mercury, that's a direct measure of that transport system. Okay. I was just really, 
just been thinking about that a lot recently. Not really the asparagus specifically, but other just... things that you smell in the bee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's an interesting question. And, and, you know, as I was processing the question and answering it, I was almost saying to myself that if you smell a lot of different compounds in there, it might indicate that the glomerulus is a little open and over filtering. Okay. Well, I first noticed it when I started doing the pharmaceutical chelation because when I would do that, I would, I mean, really smell from the chelation. Yeah, those sulfur compounds do that too, though. Then, and like lipoic acid does that. If you eat lipoic acid, you get asparagus urine-like smell. It's a very similar sulfur compound. Okay. So I would love to go deeper into the natural chelation process in the body. You were talking about things like bile and I'm kind of sort of obsessed with that whole, that whole pathway. I know, I know. Right. Well, one of the things that haunts me is I, I'm, I'm on the fence about like supplemental bile or like naturally supporting your, your body's bile system, but I guess backtracking a little bit. So what does in the quote, ideally functioning body, which is, which is dealing with these exposures, be them heavy metals. We're talking about mercury specifically, what does that detoxification process look like, like on a step-by-step basis in the body? Yeah. All right. So let's say we're up in a cell and we're going to describe the linking of the mercury onto one of our molecules as being glutathione and then a sequence of transport steps to it getting out of the body. So we're up in a cell, there's mercury stuck onto a protein, onto uh, a sulfur group on a protein, and you want to get it off. And it's going to be, you're going to bind it onto glutathione. So you need glutathione, but you need this intermediary called glutathione S transferase. It's an enzyme that's shifting the electron structures on the sulfur that's holding the mercury and enabling the mercury to jump over to the sulfur group on the glutathione. So it's catalyzing the transfer onto the S group, the sulfur group. So glutathione S transferase. So now we're in the cell and instead of the mercury being stuck to the protein, now it's stuck onto glutathione and it's floating around in the cell. So now you got to get it out of the cell and it's not a passive diffusion. It's an active transport. So that transferase action was called phase two detox. And then phase three is the transport across the cell membrane. So there's an active transporter that goes across the cell membrane that moves the mercury glutathione conjugate. And it uses an ATP molecule for energy and magnesium as a cofactor. So in there is is keys to why you're a little more tired when you're metal detoxing. You need energy to drive it and why magnesium is important. It's important for two reasons, actually. One is to drive these transporters and two is that high magnesium sets a more parasympathetic autonomic tone in the body. That means you're more in the rest, digest, repair, regenerate, detoxify side of your nervous system and less in fight or flight. And if we get time, we'll move over into that because it's a crucial part of all this. But so we use magnesium ATP to get this conjugate out of the cell and it's moving in the extracellular space. It's going to join up into the bloodstream. It'll go into the lymphatics and then into the bloodstream. And then 
At the liver, you have another phase three transporter that's going to grab it from the blood, pull it into the hepatocyte, that's the liver cell, and then another one on the other side of the cell that's going to dump that conjugate into the bile flow. This is why bile is so important. The detox transporters that are dumping toxins out of the liver are dumping them into what's called the bile canaliculus, which are the little rootlets of the bile tree, and they culminate down at the common bile duct. And the transporters move both bile and toxins. There's two transporters moving bile. One is called MRP2, and it dumps toxins and bile salts, and the other is called BCEP, bile salt export pump, and that just moves bile salts. And then there's a third one involved in it, and that's called MDR, and it moves phosphatidylcholine, or PC. It's the phospholipid that we use to make all our liposomes. It moves that into the bile flow to keep the bile fluid and to mix with the bile salts so that they don't digest the bile tree. So you conjugate the glutathione, you throw it from the cell into the blood, you pull it from the blood into the liver, you dump it from the liver into the bile. Now on the kidney level, those same transporters that were in the hepatocyte are in the proximal tubules. One pulling from the blood into the proximal tubule and the other one dumping into the urinary flow. Okay. So quite, and what is the timeline like on that? So you just described that whole process. Is that something that's happening? I mean, how, and then like how fast are, okay. you know, these reactions are really pretty quick. And so say we take a bunch of stuff to upregulate all that, you know, there's one of our detox systems that we call push catch. And we take a bunch of stuff to wind up those phases of detox and we take glutathione and it winds up bioflow. And a half hour later, we take our toxin binder. It's uh, charcoal, clay, IMD is a metal binder and pick it all up in the gut. So in that 30 minute period, we wind up a whole cycle of detox and then catch it. So these are processes that are always going on, but they're either prioritized or deprioritized according to nutritional status and autonomic nervous system status. Okay. So diving deeper into that. So nutritional status, I'm I'm assuming being in a good nutritional status is what's going to drive. Yes. And let's also put energy status relating to NAD and ATP. Okay. And so with that, would that mean that Adopting a dietary approach for the individual that best suits energy production in their body. And the reason I say the individual is it seems that I don't know what your thoughts are specifically on like the ketogenic diet as applicable to everyone, or it seems like some people respond to different diets, you know, differently. No, everybody should have exactly the same diet. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> I was like, oh no, it's going to get awkward really quickly. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> it's going to get awkward really fast. There is no one body type on this planet. Now, uh, uh, yeah, I know. Some people don't do well with the keto, but we're going to go into talking about that and nutritional status and calorie status. So on just a crude level, if your protein status is low, you won't be able to make enough glutathione because you won't be getting enough cysteine. And so then you won't be able to detoxify. Well, on the other end of the spectrum, if you eat too much, 
say you eat too much carb and you're in like an early metabolic syndrome, then you're going to be in a constant inflammation that is then going to block detoxification. And most detoxification pathways are more accentuated in a fasting period, but your protein status has to be good enough to make all of these things, which brings us to things like intermittent fasting and just making sure that you're having periods of clean, not too many calories and certainly low carb. And then you have periods where you're repleting those stores. Okay. Yeah. And then speaking of fasting, which obviously is near and dear to my heart, is there a potential downside if people are extremely toxic in compounds such as mercury that their body in the fasted period, that's just too much of a detoxification reaction? Yeah. Well, the whole keto flu is detoxification. You know, people talk about water, mineral status. Those are minor players, you know, because we made this product keto before six that like flips you into ketosis in an hour and a half, not with exogenous ketones. It's a really strong AMPK activator because it's in this nanoparticle and just about anybody will flip into ketosis. And then, you know, we put tons of people into the, onto this and all the ones who would get keto flu in a couple of days, you give them the toxin binder and the keto flu goes away immediately. Uh, it, you know, it's the release of fat soluble toxins. And if your body is not tuned up to process them, then it's got to be more of a toxic load. And especially if you don't have good liver processing and you're not coupling detoxification to the bile flow then you just recirculate the toxins and make everything worse. Now, when you fast, you get the deepest levels of detoxification, but that just means that if you're going to do that, you have to bring on these detox systems to make sure that you're coupling all of these metabolic changes to actually metabolizing the toxins and binding them and getting them all the way out. And also, since you were speaking about mercury being related to protein stores, potentially more than is is mercury in our fat stores as well or is it like you said mostly no it's just like the fish it's in the protein stores and especially the glands where there's a lot of sulfur groups so when we're struggling from detoxification reactions from mercury while fasting would that this is just me thinking aloud would that be likely more due to autophagy during the fast driving that protein turnover compared to like fat burning releasing the toxins mm. yeah, mercury specifically? yeah 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 uh, yeah yeah, the autophagy would be releasing mercury for sure. Though it's about the total burden to the system. Once you start dumping all those fats, those fat-borne toxins in, and the mercury's already in the blood and circulating around, but then you throw in autophagy too, and you probably toss in a bunch more mercury into the system. This fasting and detoxing is the way I've seen the the toxic load go down the fastest. But you got you got to get the system all tuned for that. Okay. And with fasting as a method to detox, actually one, one really quick rapid fire question. I'm really, I'm assuming that your AMPK stimulator is a proprietary Yeah, but blend, I can but tell you what's in it. It's, it, it, it all where it, and it's stuff you've, it, you know, you'd be like, of course that's in there. But when you take it as a capsule, you don't absorb it where shit and it can't get a high enough blood level to do that. So it's berberine, resveratrol, quercetin, silymarin, and diendoleomethane and some cinnamon. And because in this nanoparticle delivery, these things peak in the blood in, you know, 20 to 30 minutes, 
and you get all of your peak in there and your bioavailability enhancement on some things like our curcumin delivery system, it's 300 fold higher bioavailability than raw curcumin. So you're getting a ton of this stuff in, you're getting it in unmetabolized, capsules get metabolized in the gut and you're actually absorbing metabolites of them. So you get them all in at once, unmetabolized, and it just wham, it hits it, you know, it's like a mega dose of metformin and it will flip you into ketosis. And so it's a wonderful thing, but it does stimulate a lot of detoxification. So then you need to take it with a binder during those early times. That is fantastic. I am so going to look into that more. And for listeners, I know this is like a lot of big words, um, um, but I know people are probably familiar as well. But AMK, for example, um, is a gene that it means often linked to longevity and such because it is activated in a state of nutrient deficiency and it can upregulate a lot of these protective pathways as far as we're talking about like detox. When you you activate AMPK, it activates metabolic, I like to call it clarity, but it's sending out the signal to mobilize stored resources. So when you're eating a lot of carbs, you're storing fat, you're storing resources as glycogen and fat for later use. And AMPK is activated when you fast, it's activated when you exercise heavily, and it's activated by certain nutritional compounds like we just talked about. And those tell your body to go into your fat stores, burn the fat and bring it over to the liver, turn it into ketones, and we'll use that for energy. It tells it to burn burn the, the glycogen that's around. It actually turns up how many glucose transporters are around. So any glucose that is around, you can use more efficiently. So it turns up this metabolic efficiency and that ends up turning down insulin resistance, creating insulin sensitivity. It burns off fat in the liver. In fact, some of these protocols that we have in one study, we resolved 82% of fatty liver cases in one to two months with our detox system because the detox system included all these AMPK activators that have these benefits. That is fantastic. And what was the name of that that product, the AMPK one? So keto before six, the idea was that you could be keto all day and then for dinner, you could go back to eating carbs. And some people advocate that because you sleep better the carbs, you know, you, you get mTOR forward there and you build muscle mass back on. And so it's a way to do what people call cyclical keto within a single day. Okay. I love that. Yeah. I love that. So a few more questions to say on the, the whole dietary route. When I was first brought it up about the diet that suited the individual. So if a person is following like a higher carb diet, for example, and they seem to respond best to that as far as their blood sugar levels go or their inflammatory markers. And then you have another person who seems to respond better to a ketogenic diet. So in both of those situations, would it be safe to assume that at that moment in time, that diet might be best supporting them for detox? The context I'm coming from is that people will say ketogenic diet is the perfect diet for detoxification. Then then people will be like, no, like you see, you know, the high fruit, low fat diet for detoxification. And Right, right, right. Uh, yeah, the diet that doesn't screw you up is the diet you should be on when you detox. You know, if it's flipping things around and working against your natural patterns, then that shouldn't be the one that you're doing when you detox. And you'll see each of these have their strengths. So ketogenic, you have more MPK activation, you have more liberation of fat-soluble toxins, you have more autophagy. The high-fruit diets 
as long as you're eating a lot of fruits that have a lot of dietary polyphenols and bioflavonoids, they are AMPK activators and they work on detox paths and they have good aspects to them. So you want a, a diet that is not making you inflammatory, that gives you all the raw nutrients you need. And, you know, the easiest thing to stick into any diet is a little intermittent fasting. And that just gives you that point of clarity where you're not taxing your GI system. Friends, you guys know I love wine. Do you love wine? I've done a lot of research on wine, and I truly believe there are a myriad of health benefits. The longest-lived populations drink wine. The polyphenols have a ton of potential health benefits, activating anti-aging sirtuins, potentially supporting our immunity, maybe even encouraging weight loss. Yep, it's actually not alcohol that makes people gain weight. It's what they eat when they drink. But if you want all of the benefits of wine, the type of wine you're drinking is key. Conventional wine in the US is often full of toxins. We're talking things like pesticides, mold, and additives. Dyes, colorizers, artificial flavors. Have you even seen some wine that says vegan? That's because conventional wine isn't even necessarily vegan because of the additives. I am obsessed with a company called Dry Farm Wines. They're not a wine producer, but rather a wine investigator. They go all throughout Europe and they find the wineries practicing organic practices, and then they test those wines to make sure the wines are, wait for it, low alcohol, low sugar, free of toxins, free of mold, and truly supportive of your health. I'm obsessed with Dry Farm Wines, one of the most fun things for me as a wine lover is you get mixed boxes of wine and it introduces you to varietals from all over the world. The wines taste amazing and you can say goodbye to hangovers. If you think you can't drink wine, you've got to try Dry Farm Wines. I am obsessed. You can get a bottle for a penny. Yes, a penny. Just go to dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to claim your penny bottle. That's dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon. All right, now back to the show. Hi, friends. One of the most valuable things that I do every single night of my life is my infrared sauna session. The brand that I use is Sunlighten. I did a lot of research on infrared saunas before deciding on them. Their saunas are so high quality. They're low EMF. And what I really love is they have a solo unit. That's what I have. And it's really great if you live in a small apartment, might be moving. It's just really an amazing investment. And they have incredible deals and offers on it right now. You can actually get up to $200 off with the code Melanie Avalon. Or if you're talking to a rep, just tell them that I sent you. And like I said, that will be up to $200 off. And that will also get you $99 shipping. Normally the shipping is like $600. So that's a really, really big deal. And if you do purchase a sauna, forward your proof of purchase to podcast at melanieavalon.com. And I will also send you a signed copy of my book, What When Wine. If you'd like to learn more about the science of sauna, two resources. I interviewed the founder of Sunlighten, Connie Zach. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And then I also recently did an epic blog post all about the science of sauna. We'll also put that in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. Hi, friends. An incredible fasting aid is coffee. Yes, I am all about the coffee. I am a huge fan of its health benefits as well as how it can support your fast and really help with energy and fat burning. And I have a big announcement. The brand of coffee that I have been drinking for an entire decade now, I am no longer drinking. 
There's some drama, there's some science, and I'm about to tell you how to get a discount on my new favorite coffee. So I've been drinking the coffee formerly known as Dave Asprey's Bulletproof Coffee for literally a decade. I do not drink it now, so this is not a Bulletproof Coffee commercial, but I started drinking it because I so trusted Dave and his obsession in creating mold-free coffee because moldy coffee beans is a huge problem and a lot of people can get health issues, brain fog, and crash after coffee because of the mold contamination. Dave has been talking about this for so long, so I really trusted him and I would drink Bulletproof Coffee, which I absolutely loved and loved that it was mold-free. Then there was some drama. Dave sort of got kicked out of Bulletproof. He might be going back. There's a lot of stuff going on with that. Follow him on Instagram if you want to learn more about that. He even talked about it at the recent biohacking conference. But in any case, (laughs) drama aside, he can no longer speak to Bulletproof Coffee as to whether or not it is mold-free. And he ended up making a coffee even better than Bulletproof Coffee, and it is called Danger Coffee, and friends, I love it. It's the first coffee that is not only mold-free, but actually can help you remineralize. Yep, that's right. Danger Coffee contains a patent-pending formula that actually remineralizes your body with more than 50 trace minerals, nutrients, and electrolytes. On top of that, it is super clean. I know people like to see organic labels. Friends, I have learned so much about the certification industry. And honestly, the best of the best is finding people that you trust who do extensive testing and third-party certification. That's what I do with my Avalon X supplements. And that's what Dave does with Danger Coffee. So with Danger Coffee, they use a process that far exceeds government and industry standards. And it is third-party lab tested. So you can rest assured it is free of mold toxins. As for the flavor, Dave selected these hand-picked farm direct beans for their quality, their superb flavor, and their elevated performance. I love the taste of it. It's much richer and more nuanced than Bulletproof Coffee. It's honestly one of the best coffees I've ever tasted, and it's so exciting to know that when I'm drinking it, I'm actually helping to remineralize my body. So that's right. If you want your coffee to contain antioxidants, anti-inflammatories, micronutrients, and help optimize your fasting, you want Danger Coffee. And of course, I have a discount for you guys. You can go to melanieavalon.com slash dangercoffee and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get 10% off. Again, that is melanieavalon.com slash dangercoffee with the coupon code melanieavalon for 10% off. This is my favorite coffee. Like I said, it takes some really good coffee and convincing biohacking health reasons to break me from my 10-year decade bulletproof coffee habit but sometimes you just got to upgrade. And by the way, this would make epic presents for people. This can just become your go-to present. Not only will people love it, but you'll be helping their health as well. Everybody wins. MelanieAvalon.com slash Danger Coffee with the coupon code Danger Coffee. Okay. Yeah. I love that. Best of both worlds. And I don't like to think this way in general. I don't want to think about oh, I want to return back to this diet I was eating at this one time because it worked for me then. But like where I'm coming from is in general, I feel like I've thrived really well, for example, on a high protein, high fruit diet actually. And it was like lower on the fat side, more kind of like, I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Ray Pete. No, no. He's fascinating. He's all about like thyroid health, metabolism, very anti, uh, very much about the dangers of polyunsaturated fats in the body. But that's where I'm coming from is that like in the past, I felt like really, really good on that. And I would actually 
like to sort of maybe get back to that. I've been playing more with like ketogenic stuff recently. Yeah. And you see the people who do good on ketogenic feel freaking great on it. And the ones who don't, I mean, it's really quick and obvious. <laughs> and as long as it's not just, you know, the, the detox reactions that are throwing you off, then you know pretty well, you know, if it's going to be good for you or not. But, you know, I have no problem with doing detox while doing a high protein, high fruit diet. And, you know, you're going to do some intermittent fasting and that's going to give you some of that time and, a, and more of that metabolic clarity and you're going to get everything you need. Yeah, that's the one thing that through all this craziness of me trying different things like dietary approaches and trying to find that the detox solutions and the answers, the one thing that has honestly never failed me is keeping in my intermittent yeah. fasting window. Yeah. Like when, when I would try to play with that, no, no, things would just like crash and burn. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's how I love it. And you know, when people are asking me about the keto before six and how to use it in specific diets, I say the easiest way to do this is just intermittent fast and take this right in the morning. First thing you do, take this and then don't eat. You know, if you want to take the next step and have some butter in your coffee or, or something, fine. But the easiest thing to do is just Take this in the morning, intermittent fast. You'll have a period of a couple hours where you're making ketones, and that'll be fantastic. And then just go about what you do the rest of the day. And is it a liquid form? Yeah. Does it have a taste to it at all, or is it? It does. It's you taste the cinnamon and a little bitter in it. Okay, gotcha. I'm gonna I'm gonna start I'm gonna start trying this. And. So there'll be a capsule form of it coming, but yeah, get the liquid. It's just, it's awesome. That's one of our best, you know, if you're only going to have one thing, this is it. I mean, it's all these wonderful metabolic compounds in a level that you could never get normally. That's amazing. And then also going back a little bit, you were talking about the role of binders and detox. I know a lot of people will experiment with, you know, things like activated charcoal or like citrus pectin, you know, different binders and such. I know you have your system, which I will definitely would love to hear about, put links to it in the show notes. But as far as the role of taking binders, going back to the timeline thing, like if you're feeling crappy from detoxing, is it like, I mean, I often find that if I take activated charcoal, it seems to have worked like right away. Like it'll like freaking fast. Yeah. And I'm like, your brain fog, you're fatigued. I mean, 15 minutes, you're just like, Uh wow, God damn, that's so much better. But so I'm, I'm taking it orally. It's going into my, is it getting absorbed systemically or is it just absorbing toxins in the GI tract? No, 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 no. So the whole reason for, well, there's two main reasons for binders. The, the most commonly understood one is that you're dumping toxins out of your liver with the bile and those toxins then reabsorb very quickly. So they go into the upper GI and a bunch of them get reabsorbed, including methylmercury. It's 95% reabsorbed. And so you mobilize those toxins down, but you reabsorb and you feel crappy. So if you dump them in there and the charcoal's there, then the charcoal absorbs the toxin and you don't reabsorb, the toxin doesn't go back into the blood. And so you poop it out and you feel better. Now, the other thing that it's doing is binding something called endotoxin out of your GI tract. Endotoxin. Oh, don't get me started on endotoxin. It's like the bane of my it existence. It is. I mean, it's the bane <laughs> of my like existence. I live in perpetual fear of endotoxin. It's not even Well, funny. guess what binds endotoxins incredibly well? Activated carbon. Charcoal binds endotoxin. So endotoxin is the antithesis of everything good for us. It 
blocks detoxification. It's an inflammagen. It's little parts of bacteria that get into circulation when you've got leaky gut or from different infections. It could be nasal infections, sinus infections, jawbone infections, UTIs. But mostly for us, it's from leaky gut. And it goes in and our immune system thinks it's a bacteria and it sounds the inflammatory alarm. The inflammatory alarm then shuts down all of our detox pathways and endotoxin goes up into the brain and it winds up neuroinflammation in the brain, which is a war between the immune system in the brain called the microglia and the glutamate receptors on the neurons. And that creates all kinds of hecticness and it shifts your body into fight or flight whether you have some danger feeling or not and when you shift everything into fight or flight you turn off all detoxification from a neurological level so endotoxin is responsible for catalyzing the toxic effects of so many different toxins because it shuts down your whole defense against them. So that's part of why you feel crappy after different meals or different, you know, you eat something and feel crappy, you get a little leaky gut, you get endotoxin in, and it winds up all this inflammation. So you take that binder, and it's binding not only the toxins that are coming out of the bile, but it's binding the endotoxin from ever being absorbed. And that's why you feel better that fast. Two follow-up questions to that specifically. So because something I will often do is I'll be feeling okay and then I'll I feel like I have this detox overload situation. So I'll take, you know, activated charcoal for example and it'll get things better. Would I be better served consistently supplementing my body with lower doses of some sort of binder so that it's always perpetually being bound? Then there's also the issue of activated charcoal binding to other things as well. So I know you have your your push catch product, like yeah. So you know the answers around that. It's best to focus cycles of detox, and so what we do is we stimulate bioflow and detoxification reactions at the same time. And, you know, we have a, we have a funny product called liver sauce that winds up all this stuff at once. And it's part of this push catch liver detox. So you take that, you might take glutathione too. And if you need other things, you'll take them all at once. And that'll activate this dump of bile and toxins into the GI. So a half hour after the liver sauce, and it's really a half hour to 45 minutes, you take the binder and you bind all of that up. And so you focus it into, and you'll do that once or twice or three times a day, depending on how intense of a detox system that you want. Now, if you are in a very acute phase of feeling bad, then you can separate the, you know, you can dilute the binders and water and drink them all through the day and always be binding a little toxin and stopping some endotoxin. But you can't do that for super long periods of time because you'll start to bind up, you know, the vitamins and stuff in your food and your supplements. But like if you're acutely feeling bad after you eat something, take the freaking charcoal. Who cares if you don't absorb a couple of that nutrients? We're all overfed anyways. It's better that you block the endotoxin and dysbiotic toxins. These are toxins made from your food by bad bacteria in your stomach. And so when you feel crappy after something, it's a mixture of the endotoxin, dysbiotic toxins, and immune reactions to them, say histamine release from mast cells or IgG reactions. And so it's better to shut all that down by throwing the binder in. Quick rapid fire question. You mentioned histamine. 
I'm not a huge fan of a lot of like pharmaceutical type in- interventions, but do you think there would be a benefit, for example, to taking antihistamines to sh- like shut down that histamine response or do you think it'd be better? Right. Well, of course we'd solve that problem too. So in the nutraceuticals, quercetin and luteolin are the things that stabilize the mast cells from releasing the histamines and vitamin C helps you catalyze the breakdown of them. And so we made a product called HistaAid, which was a nanoparticle of quercetin, luteolin, and vitamin C, and that works really well for that. But if it's like really wound up intensely, some people have to go to pharmaceuticals. One of the ones that's used the most is called chromalin, for mast cell activation syndrome. But, you know, taking a lot of vitamin C and the quercetin luteolin tends to do that. And in fact, we built that into our detox system. So the mast cell stabilizers are in the liver sauce so that we're actually doing all this at once. We're doing NRF2 upregulation, which turns up all the glutathione enzymes. We're doing bioflow activation because we have a bitters formula in there. And we have a histamine and immune stabilizing formula in there, quercetin luteolin and dim. Okay. Also, what are your thoughts on how important is the role of fiber in, in this whole detoxification process, especially people who seem to be radically benefiting, benefiting, for example, on like a carnivore diet, which part of me is like, I feel like that could be really healing for me. But then I get really nervous because I'm like, oh, I need fiber for like bowel movements and excreting toxins and toxin binding. I know it's a big question. Yeah, well, well, fiber is one of the toxin binders. And, you know, if you're on one of these like carnivore diets and stuff, you're trying to control some overgrowth of bacteria that's feeding on the fibers and maybe doing something bad. Long term, fiber is what feeds the best flora in the gut. But when things get out of hand, sometimes you have to go on these fiber restricted diets. So those are, I mean, those are kind of nuanced questions to keep the fiber, to not keep the fiber. You can definitely do the toxin binding. Now, to a little detour on toxin binding, there are multiple different binders and there are multiple different toxins. And each of the toxins has a binder that it's most attracted to. It's called a specificity. So if a binder has high specificity for a toxin, a small amount of binder gets a lot of toxin. But if it has low specificity, you need a lot of binder to get any little bit of toxin. So it's best to make a cocktail of multiple different types of binders. And that's what our ultra binder is. It's charcoal, zeolite, kytazan, and IMD, our proprietary metal binding binder, and some fiber in the form of acacia gum and an aloe extract. And so you've got multiple binders for multiple toxins there and a little bit of soluble fiber. So the binders can handle all the toxin binding, but yeah, you'll have to decide whether you want to keep the fiber rolling or whether there's a negative metabolism of the fiber for you. Overall, I'd say you want to keep the fiber rolling. Gotcha. It's just fascinating to me because you're mentioning the importance of A, and maybe this brings it all like full circle, but the importance of the parasympathetic state and then the inflammatory response of the body. And so it seems actually very motivational because if we can get our body into a diet that is, you know, serving our body, not creating an inflammatory response, or even I would posit changing our inflammatory response to things, be it through entering a parasympathetic state through, and this is like a whole nother tangent rabbit hole, but things like meditation or I don't know. I feel like there's a whole nother 
Absolutely. This is a, a thing that I was hoping to, to get back to. So autonomic nervous system, you've got, you've got sympathetic, which is fight or flight response. You've got parasympathetic, which is rest, digest, but it's really rest, digest, repair, regenerate, detoxify. You need to get over into that state for the successful detoxification. Now, what are the different aspects of that? Now, first, that means we need to have feeling of safety and that we're not, you know, have to be on it all the time. That's the sympathetic thing. And when you're in sympathetic autonomic, you are deprioritizing detoxification because you are under a perceived feeling that you need to survive something. So you put all your energy into muscles and brain to get out of a dangerous situation. So you need to get into this state in order to detoxify and regenerate. Now, what else does, you know, how else do the autonomics fit into the detox? When you're in sympathetic, you block bioflow. You don't want to digest and you don't want to move toxins. And so you, you block bioflow and you keep it in. And this leads to cholestasis, chronically being stressed. So then reflexively in the brain, the glutamate receptor. So in the brain, this sympathetic, parasympathetic plays out in the neurotransmitter pair of glutamate being sympathetic and GABA being parasympathetic. So the glutamate receptors are actually targets of most toxicities and they make the glutamate receptors hyperactive. And when the glutamate receptors are hyperactive, they're overreacting to the level of glutamate in there. And the first symptom that gives you anxiety. Now, mercury is a glutamate excitotoxic toxin, meaning it, it's toxic to these receptors. And the most common neurological symptom of mercury is anxiety. And the other thing that plays in the glutamate is in the hormone side, and that's estrogen. Estrogen makes the glutamate receptors hyperactive as well. Estrogen also blocks bile flow. And so there's this axis between the glutamate receptors and that sympathetic activation and the hormones and the liver. Now, what's the opposite of all that? So the opposite of estrogen is progesterone. And I was going to say, so should we be supplemental progesterone or supporting natural? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's one of the best liver openers there is. Your liver is all locked up and your estrogen dominant at some cycle of, of your period or, or just in general, progesterone will open up your liver. And where does it go in the neurotransmitters? Progesterone activates the GABA system. And that's why progesterone chills you out so much. Progesterone is also activating something called the PXR, which is a nuclear transcription factor that works with NRF2 to turn up all the detox genes. So progesterone is a massive ally in detoxification. That is fantastic. And then, I mean, I was just even thinking when you're talking about LPS, for example, have you, I don't know if you're familiar with the workings of Wim Hof. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I generally know them, but I haven't looked at them in detail. Well, they did some fascinating studies on his work and they found that his meditation and breathing techniques actually, like participants who utilize his, his techniques actually downregulated their, or it changed their inflammatory response to LPS when they were actually injected with LPS. So just the implications of that, it's like, I mean, we don't want the LPS in the first place, obviously, but just, just this, the implications of the whole broad picture of our immune response to things in our body 
No, it's huge. And so, you know, you like the supplements you use to do that, to down the reaction to the LPS are CBD and GABA. And they work exceptionally well for that. And what do they do? They chill you out, just like the meditation does. So you're entraining those effects, you know, in a psychomental way through the meditations. Or you're doing them with the chemistry. Now, ideally, you're doing both. I used to sell GABA to a mindfulness school. And if they took GABA before their meditation, they got into their zone in four minutes instead of 20. Was it pH GABA or was it just straight GABA? Uh, it was just straight. Well, it was GABA and a liposome, which makes it work like more like pharma GABA. But then we have pharma GABA and a liposome with CBD. You want to talk about, whoa, that works. Yeah. <laughs> you do? Oh my goodness. Oh, I, I, You're like Christmas. Like Christ- I am Father Christmas himself. Yeah, there you go. And your name is Chris. <laughs> oh man, this is great. No, this has been absolutely, wow, this is fantastic. So yeah, I know for listeners, I'm glad we we came to this because I know it's it's a really scary thing, you know, this idea of all these toxins that we're exposed to and, and this burden in our bodies. And I mean, I know for me personally, it's so easy to enter this fear mindset of, got to get it out. What do I do? And then not knowing if what you're doing is helping or hurting, but it seems like, you know, just talking with you and just in general that our bodies are, you know, they're adept at detoxification as long as we support, you know, as long as we're supporting them in that process. And it seems that mindset is so important and having, I mean, just the mindfulness and the gratitude and everything I think could, is such an important factor. So, Actually, the last question I ask every single guest on this episode, it's because I've realized just how important on a biological level, even mindset is, um, is what is something that you're grateful for? Something I'm grateful for. I'm grateful to be able to do what I do. That is awesome. (laughs) And people always ask me, they, you know, they're like, Oh, so you're doing this to help the world. I'm like, I'm just doing what I do. And I'm just grateful that it does help the world. I know, right? No, it's the way I feel with this podcast. This is just what's natural for me. People are like, thank you so much for helping. I'm like, it's because I'm just grateful to like go down these topics and try to figure this out. It's just so fascinating and wonderful. And and I would actually, because Chris, we didn't even get to like, half of the things. And we were even talking before the call <laughs> something I really want to talk about. We didn't even get to it. So I was wondering if you'd like to come back on the future for a separate yeah, episode. Let's, not let's do, not do Mercury specific. It could be more all these other... Yeah, then we can get into NAD and stuff, but we can tie it back into Mercury and general detox and talk about all these things like on, you know, sweating, saunas, foot baths, red wine. <laughs> so many things I have questions about. Uh, Okay. So we'll have to, we'll get that in the books. Super excited. Well, thank you so much. So again, for listeners, the show notes will be at melanieavalon.com slash mercury. I'll put links there to everything that we talked about, all of those products that Dr. Shade has formulated. We didn't even talk about the importance of liposomal delivery. Like, I mean, except for the AMPK activator. Yeah. But yeah, long story short, we'll we'll get into that. Long story short is (laughs) He, he's made it so that these supplements are actually going to be very usable and effective in the body due to their delivery mechanism. I just, if you'd like to do a long story short. 
your GI tract's not made to absorb everything. It's made to reject certain things, in fact. And uh, things like glutathione, you can't get them in a capsule form because you break them down and then absorb them as, as precursors and put them back together. And so liposomes and nanoemulsions are ways to make these little nanolipid droplets that can passively diffuse right across your mucous membranes, like right through your mouth into your capillaries, and get some of these super important compounds like glutathione into the body. And so we've applied it to lots of different compounds that have great promise. I mean, there's so many things like resveratrol, this promise to make you live longer, and then you eat a whole bunch of it and barely absorb any. And so getting these high absorption methods is able to really radically change things. Like we said, the keto before six just flip you into ketosis on a dime. And so especially in the detox regimens, we're able to stage these very discrete stages of detox, activate toxins, move them with the bile, bind them, and get very accurate, symptom-free, and powerful protocols. I love that. Love that so much. I've even wondered with like the resveratrol, for example, people want to supplement, you know, with resveratrol pills. I've even wondered if, but having it like in the form of wine and the liquid, I don't know if this is true at all, but having it like in the liquid form in your mouth of potentially like the sublingual delivery of it would even be a factor just because of like compared to the GI tract. Well, I'd say on a soul level, it does a lot more for us to drink it with wine, drink it in in the wine form. I think that might be the biggest benefit. That's probably the biggest benefit, you know, just looking at this beautiful red liquid and all the ferments and stuff. You know, it's it's a wonderful way to go. But, you know, now we have these super high bioavailability ways to take all this stuff. Awesome. 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 Well, this has been amazing. Hopefully we can talk again very soon and knock out a lot more topics. Um, This this has been a fascinating conversation. So thank you so much for your time. And I look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thank you so much, Melanie. See you next time. Thank you so much for listening to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. For more information, you can check out my book, What When Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, as well as my blog, MelanieAvalon.com. Feel free to contact me at podcast at MelanieAvalon.com. And always remember, you got this.